If you have your Bibles with you, please open them to John chapter 10. That's where we're going to be today in John chapter 10. As we continue to look at the Gospel of John, as a reminder, the Gospel of John is written so that we may believe. So the whole purpose of this is that John is trying to show us more and more of who Jesus is and what he has done for us. For a few years, I had the privilege of uh, being a camp pastor in a small camp, a small Baptist camp up in the Ottawa Valley, beautiful place called Bonnachere uh, Baptist Camp. And I was there for a few years as a family camp pastor. And while I was there, I was exposed to all of these games. I'm not much of a board game person, but that's what we did. There's no TV, right? So you play board games. And there's this one game called Resistance, which I swear broke up or put more strain on marriages than I've ever seen before. And here's why. It's a card game with different parties, but there's a spy. Do you know who were the best spies playing that group? The wives. And I don't know what that says, but their whole object was to get into the opposite team and to kind of wreak havoc, to steal and to destroy. And that's what they did. They did a good job at it. I saw husbands going, I refuse to play this game with my wife ever again. <laughs> but it's, it, it snuck, they snuck in there. As a reminder, last week we saw Jesus showing his incomparable power and goodness that can never be reciprocated. It can never be repaid or replicated by anybody else. As he healed this man who was born blind, born blind, and made in him a new creation. And they enabled him to see, not only physically, but spiritually as well. That man eventually proclaimed Jesus as the Lord and worshipped him. Only Jesus, who is God, could create something new. And think about that, what Jesus did for this man, a man who never could see, had never seen the beautiful sunrise or sunset. He never saw his parents' face or his siblings, if he had them. He can never see. This is the best gift to someone who had no hope. And what a great picture it was for us who are in Christ. People who were blind, who had no hope. And Jesus made us able to see. The outcome of that was a man who was healed. But then he eventually we see that the, uh, the, the Sanhedrin, the Jewish leaders, they casted him out of the synagogue, their community center, their place of worship, because he proclaimed that Jesus was the Lord. And what John writes next in chapter 10 is the difference between a good shepherd and a bad shepherd as we reflect upon what just happened in chapter 9. So let me read this, and then let us continue to pray. So John chapter 10 will be in verses 1 to 21. The word of the Lord says this. Truly, truly, I say to you, he who does not enter the sheepfold by the door, but climbs in by another way, like a spy, that man is a thief and a robber. But he who enters by the door is a shepherd of the sheep. To him the gatekeeper opens, and the sheep hear his voice, and he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. And when he has brought out all his own, he goes before them, and the sheep follow him, for they know his voice. A stranger they will not follow, but they will flee from him, for they do not know the voice of the stranger." This figure of speech in verse 6, Jesus used with them, but they did not understand what he was saying to them. 
So Jesus again said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. All who come before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not listen to them. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and to destroy and kill. I come that they may have life and have it abundantly. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for his sheep. He who is a hired hand and not a shepherd, who does not own the sheep, sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees, and the wolf snatches them and scatters them. He flees because he is a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my own and my own know me, just as the Father knows me and I know the Father. And I lay down my life for the sheep. And I have other sheep that are not of this fold. I must bring them also, and they will listen to my voice. So they will be in one flock, one shepherd. For this reason, the Father loves me because I lay down my life and I may take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down, and I have authority to take it up again. This charge I have received from my Father. There was again a division among the Jews because of these words. Many of them said, He has a demon and is insane. Why listen to him? And others said, These are not words of one who is oppressed by a demon. Can a demon open the eyes of the blind? This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Father God, I just thank you for today. I, I just, I look forward to this time. To, to hear your people here at Nowood gather, to hear these songs proclaimed, to be reminded through your word of how we are sinners in need of a Savior and that you have provided for us that, that we can come and worship you. And Lord, we think of all the other gospel-preaching churches here in London who are gathering and just coming to worship him, worship you. And Lord, I pray that you would bless them. I pray for West Park that you would bless that church and Pastor Charles as they continue to seek to be faithful disciples. Give the elders wisdom as they seek to call people to yourself. And Lord, as we continue to worship you, as we hear the word preached, I pray that you would be glorified, that you indeed would be honored. God, I can't do this on my own. So Lord, will you not make this turn out well? So by your spirit, Lord, help me to preach this sermon with the necessary power and appropriate affection. Please use this sermon to bring glory to your name, joy to your people, and salvation to the lost. And amen. As you see this contrast in verses 1 to 10 of how Jesus is creating a contrast, Jesus is the good shepherd and the door, in these few verses here, and he's creating a contrast between a good shepherd and bad shepherds, helping us see the infiltrator, the spy. In this narrative, we see Jesus describing who he is in comparison to the imposters. And you have to ask yourself, so how can you tell the difference between a good shepherd and an imposter? Good question, because Jesus lays it out for us. In verse 1, we see that they're a thief and a, dis- and a, and a robber. Truly, truly, I say to you, he who does not enter the sheepfold by the door, he says, but climbs in by another way, 
that person is not the true shepherd. This person who doesn't come through the doors comes to brutalize the flock. A thief and a robber, one who comes in to take what is not his, and a robber is one who, who, who is brutal, who beats. And they come to seek and to destroy. But the shepherd knows his sheep, as he says. He, he is recognized by the watchman, the person who is standing there at the door, making sure that only the right people come in and out of the pen. That person is known by the watchman and by the sheep and leads them out of their, for their own good. As I reflect upon this passage, I can't help but think of another passage in the Bible in Ezekiel, in Ezekiel 34, where God comes and he just lays it heavily upon those who are called shepherds, the spiritual leaders, the kings, the priests, all of them who come to brutalize his sheep. In fact, in Ezekiel 34, God berates them as people who slaughter his people for their choice, for clothing for themselves, and completely fail the flock. For those who are shepherds within the church, for pastors and elders, this is a very humbling passage. But as Ezekiel 34, 4 comes along, he, he, God says this to the shepherds, he says, the weak you have not strengthened, the sick you have not healed, the injured you have not bound up, the, the strayed you have not brought back, the lost you have not sought, and with force and harshness you have ruled over them, he says. God is the ultimate solution to this problem, though. As he continues on in chapter 34, where in 34, 10 to 16, he says, I will rescue my flock. I will bring them out from the nations. I will pasture them in the mountains of Israel. I myself will tend my sheep. I will bind up the injured and strengthen the weak. I will shepherd my flock with justice, he says. And how does he do this? How does God do this? He does this with Jesus. He is the shepherd who will tend for his sheep. In verse Ezekiel 34, 23 to 25, it says, And I will set up over them one shepherd, my servant David, and he shall feed them. He shall feed them and be their shepherd, and I, the Lord, will be their God, and my servant David shall be prince among them. I am the Lord. I have spoken. As he says, I will make a new covenant. I will make with them a covenant of peace. Now banish the wild beasts from the land so that they may dwell securely in the wilderness and sleep in the woods. So when you think about this, who are the thieves and the robbers that Jesus is talking about here in this passage? They are the religious leaders that we've been exposed to throughout the Gospel of John who are more interested in fleecing the sheep than in guiding and nurturing and guarding them. They are the leaders that we saw in chapter 9 who cast out the blind man out of the synagogue for how he proclaimed that Jesus is the Lord, the Savior. These are the ones that belittle and expel the sheep. In verse 3, we see that it's this good shepherd that the gatekeeper will open the gates. 
The gatekeeper opens him, opens to him, and the sheep know his voice, and the, and, the, and the shepherd has their names, and he calls them out, and the sheep responds. And you have to think, as you're closing your eyes, what does this look like? This is a sheep pen. It could be walled in. It could be in a cave, whatever the situation. It is a place where the sheep are safe. There's multiple flocks that would be in this pen with one gatekeeper, and that one shepherd, he walks in, and he starts speaking their name, speaking the name of the sheep. And all the sheep hear the voice of that shepherd, and only those who belong to that sheep, the ones who he calls, respond. A few weeks ago, uh, Steph reminded me of this video of a, of a shepherd who was calling his sheep. And it starts off with a bunch of younger adults who are up on the fence and they're trying to call the sheep. So think of a green pasture with this wonderful rolling hills and nice green scenery. And these young adults are trying to call the sheep to themselves as they stand along the fence line. And as the sh- they do that, guess what happens? The sheep don't respond. They just keep doing what they're doing. And then there's this rough, scruffy shepherd who walks, up to the, walks into the camera light, and he stands there, and he just starts calling. And one by one, the sheep just start following and coming to him. It's a wonderful picture. And also a great comfort. Because the shepherd brings out his own, and they follow him. Why? Because they know his voice. And Jesus doesn't force them. The good shepherd doesn't force him to follow him, but when it comes to his people, those who are in Christ, this happens to the work of the Holy Spirit as the Holy Spirit regenerates our hearts and makes us willing to obey. Do you see the contrast that Jesus is creating here? Jesus is the good shepherd. The Pharisees and everyone who are against Jesus are the thieves and the robbers. And those who are his will hear his voice and follow him. The sheep who don't know him will not follow him. Jesus is telling us why some people believe and why others don't. He is the one who will bring his people into eternal rest with him. Verse 5, verse 5 comes along and it says this, A stranger they will not follow, but they will flee from him, for they do not know the voice of the strangers. They won't follow the ones they don't know. For those who are in Christ, this is a great comfort. It means that if you're in Christ, you will continue to follow him. But it doesn't mean as a church we also don't preach against false teachers either. If you, have an, if you want to know, I'll gladly tell you. They don't follow because they're not they're, the, the, the false shepherds. But in verse 6, we see that the, the disciples are still having a hard time understanding, what are, you, what are you talking about, Jesus? I don't understand these figures of speech. So in verse 7, Jesus comes and he shifts gears. No longer is he the good shepherd, but now he is the door. And any true shepherd of God will enter by him, he says. All who come before me. And this isn't talking about the faithful leaders like Isaiah or Ezekiel or Jeremiah that we were reading that Peter read for us earlier today. We're talking about the abusive leaders of the people. 
And Jeremiah speaks against these same prophets in his book, in Jeremiah 23. Ezekiel talks about the wicked shepherds like we just saw in Ezekiel 34. But all those who came before him, as Jesus said, are thieves and robbers. But the sheep, they didn't listen to him. The true people of God will not be misled by the charlatans. Because Jesus is the door. As verse 9 says, I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. There's safety in Christ. There's comfort. There's peace. There's rest. There's a guarantee that is given here. It is that if anyone trusts in Christ, they will be saved. Jesus is necessary, but he's also sufficient for salvation. In Acts 4, verse 12, we see it this way, and there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. It is the pen that the sheep come for safety, and they go out into the guidance of Jesus. I think of Psalm 23, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures, he leads me beside still waters. You know, 23, Psalm 23 is a great song describing the shepherd leading his sheep. And when we read this psalm, there is comfort because we know that the same shepherd who tends his sheep by still waters is the very same shepherd who tends them in the valley of darkness. As we walk through the valley of the shadow of doubts. It is not something that just happens, that's haphazard. We are brought there, we aren't brought there by false shepherds that are thieves and robbers. The sheep have been led there by their loving shepherd. They enter there only according to his good plan and perfect purpose. They enter the valley only because it is for their benefit, only because the shepherd is leading them to something better beyond. They are never for a moment alone, for they are always following him. Jesus is our good shepherd. What a great contrast. But a last contrast that we see here, one comes to steal and kill and destroy, but Jesus comes to give life abundantly, as he says in verse 10. It is a life that only Jesus can give. It is unique because it's eternal, and he gives this life in ever-growing abundance to those who are his. See, when I look at what a sheepfold was, you would see how they were often attached even to a shepherd's home. And when a sheep entered the shepherd sheep fold, it is to come home. As the door of the sheep, Jesus is the only means of coming home to God, of becoming a member of the household of faith. Jesus is the merciful shepherd who provided shelter and security and a pasture for his beloved sheep. The shepherds, who come, the shepherds who come before him in Israel's history were just mercenaries 
fleeing the sheep quickly when under threat, and fleecing the sheep regularly for personal gain. But look, I don't know what your experience is with previous leadership or parents in your life. Maybe you've suffered some sort of abuse of some kind. We all have our wounds. We all have our wounds. But don't let those from the past cast a shadow on who Jesus is. Don't let those things define who Jesus says he is. This is who Jesus is. Come to him, all who are weak, who don't think that they can't keep, who don't think they can keep going. Those who are tired, those who are broken, for all who are sinners and are in need of a savior, come to the good shepherd and he will give you rest. For some reason, I do, and I know I'm not the only one, we doubt that God loves us. Yet the love he feels for his father, as we will see later on, is the same love that he has for his own. He loves you. And it's a love that will cause him to lay down his life for us. For us who are his sheep, you have been called into a church family. One author put it this way. She said it this way, because the church is the family of God, we need be at no loss for fathers and mothers to honor. Nor need we be at loss for spiritual orphans to parents. If your family of origins was a painful one, the family of God can be a haven and a recompense. And that's what Jesus has done for us as the good shepherd. For those who are his, the only this only happens because of what he has done for us. And what he has done for us, as we see in, in verses 11 to 18, is that he has laid down his life for his sheep. As the one who is the good shepherd, he lays down his life for the sheep. He is not like the other ones who are all in this for themselves. But he gives of himself for them. There is a period of time in, in more recent history where if you wanted to get the best-paying job, you either became a lawyer or a pastor. That's not the case now, so don't worry. Right? But you can imagine how that twists people's intents. No longer is it there to give of themselves, but to get what you want from those sheep. But not Jesus. Jesus is the one that lays down his life for his sheep, as it says. Jesus is the good shepherd, and a good shepherd gives his life in verse 11. Bad shepherds steal, slaughter, and ruin the sheep for their own gain. Good shepherds sacrifice themselves to protect and to provide for his sheep. A good shepherd is at the front taking the arrows of the onslaught. He gives his life. The good shepherd gives his life, enduring death on behalf of the sinners. This is for his sheep. It is for those whom the Father has given him. It is they who thought, who, it is they through the death of Jesus Christ on their behalf who will be justified, who are resting in the fact that Jesus Christ died for their sins and he rose again three days later. But the hired hand is the one who runs away when things get hard. But the good shepherd, he stays. He cares more about himself than the sheep, but the good shepherd cares about the sheep more than himself. It's the contrast that is being created. Jesus 
just talked about how the good shepherd sacrificed himself for the sheep, but now he talks about the bonds between them. And I, I've been overwhelmed with this to this week. As he says in verse 14, I am the good shepherd. I know my own, and my own know me, just as the Father knows me, and I know the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep. When he's talking about that word know, it's an intimate know. It's an intimate understanding. It's an intimate relationship. This is the type of knowing that is stronger than how a husband and a wife know each other. You know, you think about a marriage. My parents are about 40 years of marriage. I think my in-laws are about that. I know some of you have been married for 50, maybe 60 years. And I look at you and I think, man, that's so, you know, I'm not being, it looks cute. Okay? As someone who hasn't been married that long, it is so much of a blessing to watch those who are older still love each other that way. And, uh, and, and, but you look at them and I bet for many of you, you know your spouse. You don't, sometimes I bet you don't even have to talk, you just do it. God knows you more than that. More than that. And that's what we see here. I am the good shepherd. I know my own and my own know me, he says. Think about the intimacy between God the Father and God the Son. And that is how much he knows his sheep. Think about that. The triune God has been in a perfect relationship forever. I'm not even trying, like, I can't even think about that. Forever. They were in a perfect relationship with each other, which also means they didn't need us. So he created you for his glory and for your good. But we see that this perfect relationship and Jesus comes and he says, just as the Father knows me and I know the Father, I know my sheep. He knows you intimately, understands you. I want you to think about this and how amazing this comparison is. I want you to dwell on who God is. I want you to dwell on what he, we have seen about who Jesus is up till now. Now think about the relationship. This is the standard. The relationship between an omniscient, all-knowing father and the omniscient, all-knowing son is the ultimate example of shared personal knowledge between two parties. I don't care how long you've been married, it's not in comparison to this. No shared history goes as far back or contains more shared joy and grief than what is between the eternal son and his eternal father. No emotions could be more sincerely felt or expressed than what the almighty father and son feel for each other and communicate to each other. And this is a relationship whose depths are unsearched by the most amazing expressions of art, music, or poetry. And this same depth of intimacy Jesus declares may be found in the relationship Jesus shares with his sheep. If you are a Christ's, this is what you have. His people. 
What does this mean for you and for me if we are in the flock of Jesus? It means that he knows everything about you right now. Everything. That secret that you haven't told anyone, he knows. He knows your pain. That pain that you don't want to tell anybody because you don't want to be a burden to anyone. He knows. He knows your joy. He knows your sin. He knows it all. So the question for you and for me is, will you trust him who is the good shepherd? For some reason, we doubt that God loves us some days. Yet the love he feels for his father is the same love that he has for his own. He loves you. And it's a love that will cause him to lay down his life for his sheep. For all those who are in Christ, this is the love that, you, that he has for you. We don't fully comprehend this, don't, do we? I don't know if you do. If you do, let me know. I can't comprehend the depths of God's love for me. Because I think if I did, I bet if we did, much would be different. How we treat one another, how we talk about one another, how we live our lives in pain and suffering, like we just sang with a Christ our sure and steady anchor, great song, would be drastically different if we understood the full depths of what God has done for us. And he goes out, in verse 16, he comes along and he, and he says, and I have other sheep that are not of this fold. I must, go f- bring, I must bring them, sorry, also, and they will listen to my voice. So there will be one flock with one shepherd. And he goes out to find others to bring into that relationship. There will be one flock under him, one shepherd, sharing a unity that goes beyond all racial distinctions, cultural backgrounds, or some sort of societal preferences. Look around. Where else? I've said this before. Where else in the world do you see a group of people from different generations and ethnicities, backgrounds, countries coming together to worship our awesome God? It is only because of the gospel that we can do this. That's what unites us. Not our preferences of of worship or style, but the gospel. For some of us, that's all we have in common, and that is more than enough. We have a good shepherd, and he has laid down his life for us. And this is an act of loving obedience to the Father that shows a love between the persons of the Trinity. In verse 18, he says, No one takes it from me, but I lay down of my own accord. And this is a claim to Jesus' deity. Who else has authority over death and life but God himself? And he has that. He doesn't go to the cross. He doesn't go to the cross as a victim, but as a victor. He goes to the cross to offer himself for those who are sinners. On the cross, he voluntarily gave up his spirit. As John says later in chapter 19, before the soldiers could take matters into his own hands, before they could come and break his legs, he was already dead, fulfilling a prophecy. 
And he does all of this for those he has been given by the Father. And the Father's love for Jesus multiplies from the Son's delight in and agreement with this plan of salvation. You ever thought about this? If the, if the triune God, Trinity, Holy Spirit, God, God the Father, God the Son, God the Spirit, were in perfect relationship forever, and they know all things, it meant that they always knew that this would happen. This was not an accident. Jesus going to the cross was not an accident. He gave up his life willingly and he will take it up. And the Father authorized the Son to go and die for the sheep. And the Father authorized the Son to rise from the dead. And the Father loves and admires the self-giving love that the Son does, what the Good Shepherd does. We have a Good Shepherd The men of this church or who are your shepherds are imperfect. Our only prayer is that by the grace of God, we can point to the good shepherd. And I pray that we do. Because we're, we're not perfect, but we have one who is. It is Jesus. He is a good shepherd. He shows us that by what he did on the cross for our sins, he knows his sheep as well as he knows his Almighty Father. And the question for you, if you're sitting here today, is are you part of that flock? Are you known by God and do you know him? In chapter 8, we see clear examples of what it means to be a follower of Christ. Are you following him? Because he will lead you to still waters. He will restore your soul. He will bring you to green pastures. He will lead you and walk with you when you go through the valley. He will be there. And Jesus is known by his sheep, as we see in verses 19 to 21. You ever think about how much division Jesus gives? He does it again here in verse 19. And there was again a division among the Jews because of these words. Two groups come through. Ultimately, those who are Jesus's know Jesus. Another division begins to come. Those who recognize Jesus and those who don't. And that division that is created cause, is caused by the reaction to who Jesus is. And I think it's important. There are those sheep who do not belong to the good shepherd who have not recognized or heard his voice and they haven't been led out and Jesus hasn't given his life to them and those who don't belong to Jesus, they don't recognize him. But they think he is evil and that he has powers that come from the demons or maybe he, they thought that he was just simply a nice guy who had some good things to say but that he's not Lord and Savior. But then there's a the second group. They recognize Jesus. They know that a demon couldn't do what Jesus did to make a new creation in this man who was born blind. They know that a demon would, wa would want to steal and kill and destroy and not give sight. And Jesus doesn't speak like one who is being influenced by a demon. He has actions that don't show it either. And people who understand these, this are experiencing Jesus' call on themselves. It is these people that see it right. 
Jesus' power comes from God the Father. These are the people who are following him in the light and then have left the darkness. So what do we do with all of this? Let's go back and look at what we have seen. Dwell with me again on what Jesus says about the Father's knowledge of and his love for him. In John 10, 15 to 17, it says, Just as the Father knows me, and I know the Father, I lay down my life for the sheep, and I have other sheep that are not of this fold. I must bring them also, and they will listen to my voice, so they will be one flock and one shepherd. For this reason, the Father loves me, because I lay down my life that I may take it up again. And in verse 14, I am the good shepherd. I know my own, and my own know me. There is no other relationship again where two parties could be more fully aware of one another than what is between the omniscient father and the omniscient son. They have always been. They have always existed. They were never created. They always have been and always will be. And there is no shared history that goes further back or contains more shared joy than what we see here in this relationship. There's no emotion that is more powerful than what they would feel with each other. Now let us think what this comparison says about the relationship between Jesus, who is the good shepherd, and all those who have experienced so much mercy as those who, are, who belong to his flock. No one could know us better than Jesus. No one who knows every time you have hated, every time you've contemplated something evil, every filth we've articulated in our minds, every bit of malice, every bit of gossip and lust, every bit of selfishness and bitterness and jealousy and everything else that you could imagine. And I don't want you to leave without this thought. With all of your dirt, with all of it, with all of your sin, with all of your brokenness, he loves you. He loves you anyways. If you belong to his flock. He loves you with all of your dirt. Have you ever seen sheep? They're dirty little. <laughs> and they're dumb. <laughs> no one has been with us longer than Jesus. Who, with the Father, knitted us together in the womb of our, mo- of our mother, Psalm 139, 13 says, For you formed my inward parts, you knitted me together in my mother's womb. No one has been truer to us than Jesus. He has never held back from telling us what we don't want to hear. He is always true to the truth. No one has shown more commitment to our good than Jesus. Traveled further to redeem us suffered more in dignity and endured greater pain, made better promises, and in every way shown himself worthy of all we have and are. 
our kids' videos are learning right now that we should love the Lord your God with all of our heart, with all of our soul, with all of our strength, with everything that you are. Does he not deserve everything? And not because it wins us some sort of weird favor with God, but because he's already shown us so much favor. Do you understand what he has saved you from? And how that should push you out, not only to declare who he is to my neighbor across the street, but also in how I act here. Oh, how he loves us. Are you going to praise him for it? You can praise him in tears. Your circumstances do not change the fact of how much he loves you. He loves you. Have you seen who Jesus is today? Is there anyone who we owe more than him? It can be hard to trust people. I understand. I understand that. It can be hard to trust those in authority over them. I also understand that. There are many things to doubt. But can you be suspicious of him or wonder about his motives? We can't distrust him. We can't resist him. It's in him where we have rest, peace, help. The love we have for Jesus ought to be the nearest thing there is to crystal clear purity in this murky world, as one commentary put it. And this is a world of uncertainty, but we, but we can be certain about Jesus. His body and blood bought our lives, and his body and blood bears us up until we will see him face to face, because we will see him face to face. And this is our shepherd, this is our friend, and this is the one who knows us, the one who lays down his life for us. All that is required for anyone who would be loved by him is that they turn to Jesus from sin and rest in him, believe in him, because Jesus is the good shepherd who gives his life for those who know him and are known by him. How does this change how we interact with one another? How does this change our mindsets when we are walking through the valleys of our life? How does this change how we go out and telling other people about who he is? Does this change how you want to know him? Does, do you know him? Are you known by the good shepherd? Don't leave this place without talking to us about him. Because all I can think about as I read through John 10, 1 to 21, is how much I want other people to know that there is a good shepherd. There's a story of an interview from 2012 of an interview done in the Rolling Stone magazine by a famous musician named Bob Dylan. You heard of him? Even I have heard of him. That's a little dig. That he couldn't identify with the 1960s. Neither could I. And he communicated his frustration with those who wanted to use him as a spokesman for their radical politics. Then there is a telling exchange where the reporter asserts that Dylan's audience loved him, loves him. Dylan, however, knows that what the audience loves him is not him, but what they think he is, what he means to them. The flip side is, there's also the audience that really loves you, they say. Of course, 
They think they do, Dylan says. They love the music and the songs I play, but not me. The reporter says, why do you say that? Because that's the way people are. People say they love a lot of things, but they really don't. It's just a word that's been overused. When you put your life on the line for somebody, that's love. But you'll never know it until you're in the moment when someone will die for you. That's love too. Jesus is the good shepherd who's given his life for those who are known by him and are known to him. Let us continue to praise our awesome God together as we sing an oldie but a goodie. And most of you should know it. If you don't, you'll get to learn it. But will you stand with us as we sing together, Jesus Loves Me.